for a few weeks and we will continue uh, for another couple of weeks. It's a wonderful chapter. Uh, Normally we are in Mark's Gospel in Year B, which we are in Year B, but we have this wonderful interlude with John chapter 6, which you will remember a couple of weeks ago we were looking at the feeding of the 5,000. That begins this whole chapter and is the kickoff point, if you will, for Jesus' discourse on the bread of life, that he is the bread of life. Because the feeding of the 5,000 was the sign for the people that God himself had come amongst the people. Just as he had in the Exodus that God had provided for them food enough for their physical sustenance, so Jesus provided for all of the crowds, 5,000 plus, from a few loaves and fish. He had provided for them food enough. That was to be a sign for them that he was indeed that, the one whom the prophets had prophesied, the long-awaited Messiah, but he wasn't just a human figure. He was, in fact, God himself who had come amongst his people. So God had fed the people in their wilderness wanderings, and he is now fed the people who are in need on the mountainside. And, but they haven't seen that sign. They're asking for another sign to which Jesus has responded, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who came down from heaven. Whoever believes in me and eats of me will have eternal life. But we see that, you know, it's working at two levels because God does provide for our physical sustenance. We see this in the passage, in the Old Testament passage from Kings where Elijah's just kind of had it. Uh, You know, he's been fighting Ahab and Jezebel and, you know, all of what goes on there. I mean, prophet's life is, is not a nice one. And he's just saying, okay, let me die. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And so he lies down and an angel comes and nudges him away and says, get up and eat. And he sees right there a bread that's been on the hot stone baked for him. And then he falls back asleep again. The angel comes again and says, wake up, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. The Lord still has things for him to do. And he sends him on a journey to Mount Horeb for 40 days. And so he needs the sustenance to continue on to do that which God has for him. Jesus also, I mean, it wasn't just a sign. The people were in need of food. They'd come out. There was nowhere for them to get food. And so he did indeed need to provide for them food enough. And so he was um, about giving them uh, physical nurture. But as he says also, Don't just focus on that. Look rather to the food that gives eternal life, that that is a spiritual food that will pull you out of death into life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, Next week's readings, we come to one of my favorite passages in John's Gospel, and we'll be looking at that in light of what Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room the night before he is betrayed and crucified. So um, come along for that. That's a foretaste of what we'll be looking at next week. But this week, I want to look at something that is in this week's reading. 
Jesus says, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Right there, there is the Trinity at work. God in trinity of persons. It is the Father who draws. It is the Son who raises. It is the Spirit who teaches. All the Godhead is right there in this phrase. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Just to set the context a little bit, uh, what's going on in all of chapter 6 in John's Gospel, it's in the context of the time, the nearing time of the Passover celebration, the feast of the Passover, which of course is that annual feast which uh, reminds the Jews, places them actually back, not just in kind of a remembering mode, but actually places them back to the time of their forebears who were brought out of slavery in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea by God's mighty stretched out hand out of slavery into freedom but they didn't trust God and so they couldn't go into the promised land until after a 40 year wandering in the wilderness so that's the context actually they're about to celebrate the Passover feast of course Jesus also has in mind that there's another Passover coming because he will die on the cross he will sacrifice his flesh on the cross at the time of another Passover. He will be the pure lamb, the lamb without blemish, who is sacrificed at another Passover. And this is in his mind, as he, as he is teaching the people who truly is the bread of life, who gives life to the world. But he himself and the people have seen this amazing miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They have seen him heal and they've asked for other signs. And when he tells them that he is the bread of life, what happens? They start murmuring. Um, In the uh, the original Hebrew, because this phrase was what was said of the people of Israel right before God gave them the manna from heaven. They were murmuring. And there's an onomatopoeia there in the the Hebrew word. It, It just sounds like a murmuring and a complaining. And so whereas the people of Israel were complaining and then received the manna from heaven, these people had received the bread from Jesus' hand, God incarnate, and yet they're murmuring afterwards because he has said that he is the bread of life. Just as your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died, so he fed them with physical food on the mountain, Um, that will not be the bread of life. He is the bread of life and he has come. But they start murmuring. Why? Because they don't trust. Just as the Israelites didn't trust God to provide for them, just as they didn't trust God that God would go ahead of them and would win the battles for them to go into the promised land, these 
here in Capernaum do not trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Their eyes see and they say, well, he's Joseph's son. We know his mum and his dad. What's he talking about that he's come down from heaven? But he is indeed. You remember in John's Gospel at the very beginning in the prologue of John where John says the word who was in the beginning with God and is God and through him all things were made has become flesh, has tabernacled amongst us, has become enfleshed in human flesh. God, the Word, has become man and dwells amongst us. The incarnated God in human flesh has come to give that flesh, to sacrifice himself so that we might live through his broken flesh if we trust that he is who he says he is. Trust comes to us throughout John's Gospel. This word comes over and over again, is repeated, and is repeated in chapter 6 several times. Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The word um, in Greek is pisteo, and it's got... It's believe sounds like something that we kind of actively do, but there's, there's, there's a sense of passivity to this word. It's a sense of opening ourselves up to trust. Um, it, it, one could say that it is to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of trust or to entrust oneself to God in complete confidence. We've sometimes too often in our Western theology turned that work of God around to our work. And we'll say things like, I made a decision for Christ. Like, we went out ahead. Um, We did it. But in actual fact, that, that work belief, that word belief has in it a trust. And so we open ourselves to that which God has already done. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God takes the initiative. He goes out ahead of us. C.S. Lewis, you won't be at all surprised that I'm going to C.S. Lewis once again, but C.S. Lewis was once interviewed by an American Christian journalist who was writing about well-known personalities who had converted to Christianity during their adult lives. And his theme, this journalist's theme, was decision. He wanted to get Lewis to say that he had made his decision. Unfortunately for his project, Lewis refused to be put in those terms. He hadn't made a decision, he said. God had closed in on him and he couldn't escape, though at the time he had badly wanted to. Um, Read C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy. It tells this story of him, you know, trying to avoid God, trying to run in every direction, and God closed in on him. 
and, and, and he says, you know, I was the most abject of people, um, basically saying, you know, come in because I can't go anywhere else. God has closed in on him. In fact, in that autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he describes it even more evocatively. He says, his compulsion, God's compulsion, is our liberation. God's compulsion is our liberation. There have been many saints throughout the centuries who have had the same experience, who have just tried to flee from God. Um, And uh, St. Augustine of Hippo is a prime example. Read his confessions. It's not a long book, but it's fascinating. I mean, he ended up in all kinds of messes because he he was running away from God um, in many insalubrious places. Uh, but it's amazing. God followed after. He never, he's the one who draws. He's the one who takes the initiative. He's the one who chooses. It's always God first. We just come along and open ourselves up to God. Uh, this also happened to a poet, a great poet, in the uh, ninth, end of the 19th century, very beginning of the 20th century. You might have heard the name Francis Thompson. He wrote a very, very long poem called The Hound of Heaven. I won't recite all of it to you because it's long, but it's a wonderful poem. This, this is it, somewhat abbreviated. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears I hid from him and under running laughter up-vistered hopes I spared and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmid fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee, who betrayest me. Nought shelters thee, who wilt not shelter me. Lo, nought contents thee. Who contentest not me, lo, all things fly thee, for thou fliest me, strange, piteous, futile thing. Whom wilt thou find to love, ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms, all which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand and come. Halt by me that footfall. Is my gloom, after all, shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly? Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee, who dravest me. God always goes out ahead. God chases after. 
like the shepherd who never stops searching for that one lost sheep. Through hill and vale, through bramble-strewn paths, he never stops searching for the one that is lost. God goes out ahead. He is always drawing, always following after, always pulling back. He is the one who is choosing. Why? Because there's anything in us? No, there's nothing in us. There's no righteousness in us except what we receive from Christ. There is nothing to recommend us. He searches for us because of his love, because of who he is, not because of anything in us. He chooses us. And we hear in Deuteronomy, Moses is again talking to the Israelites about what God has done, how he has brought them out. And he says, it was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. It is the love of God that seeks us out, not anything that we have. And how is that love perfectly shown? If you come to a place in your life where you look at the world and you look at the suffering of innocent people, and you look at the evil in the world, and you look at death and all that is going on in the world, and you question, then look at the cross. Because God shows his love there. Read back to the beginning of the story. When God created He said, it is good. It is very good. Sin is what has devastated the world. It has devastated his people, but he had a rescue plan. And it involved God himself taking on flesh and giving that flesh for the life of the world for you and for me personally so that sin is overcome and so that death is overcome. And as we saw earlier in our class on Daniel, eventually so that all would be overcome and done away with for good. We live in the in-between times. It started, but it will come fully to pass. God showed his love in this way that his son died for us and for those who trust in that he gives eternal life. He has chosen us. Never believe 
that you are the one who has gone looking for God or that you chose him. He chose you. Don't struggle. Don't fight. You've been sought out. Neither your belief nor your unbelief will change this. God is still God whether we believe or trust in him or not. Jesus is still the son of God whether we believe or not. Our belief and trust does not change God, but it does change us. It changes every single one of us because it places us in the Lamb's book of life. Our names are placed in the book of life when we trust that God is who he says he is. That we trust that Jesus is who he says he is. The Father draws us. The Son raises us up to new life. God the Father takes the initiative. He draws us to Christ, but it says in his word, I will raise them up at the last day. Remember, he resuscitated people during his ministry. He resuscitated Lazarus, the son of the widow of Nain, the little girl, the synagogue leader's daughter, All of those would die again. There's only one who has been resurrected who never died, and that's Jesus. And we will receive that same resurrected body when he raises us up at the last day into our resurrected bodies. And we are taught by God when we trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, then we are taught by God himself, whose Holy Spirit comes, who was prophesied in Isaiah 43. He sends his Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our guide, to bring us into all truth. And at baptism, we'll have this shortly, with the holy chrism oil, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, God's put his mark on you to identify you on the day of freedom or on the day of redemption or at the last day. You have been signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's in the Spirit who helps us to grow into Christ. Paul continues as he did um, last week in this week's reading, what it is to grow into Christ, to put anger aside, to put malice aside, to put all of our old ways aside, to put on the new person, to grow into the full stature of Christ. If you want to know what that looks like, read back again last Sunday's reading from Ephesians and go back again to this Sunday's reading of Ephesians. The Spirit is that he who helps us to grow up into Christ, putting on the mind of Christ. And Christ will do his work very shortly in Harper, Sander, and Samuel, and they'll partake of the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, the living bread. And in eating this bread and trusting in the one who gives it, they will receive eternal life, just as we have received eternal life. God chose you. He drew you. He continues to do so. If you're in a ministry here, it's because God chose you to do it. You didn't grasp it. He chose you. Rest in that. And he's chosen Harper 
Sander and Samuel this day. Amen. Please let the children come in.